Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host alongside James Fox, senior writer here at Future Sox. Today we are joined by national prospect writer for The Athletic, Emily Walden. She also covers the Detroit Tigers minor league teams, the affiliates, the prospects for The Athletic Detroit, as well as Baseball America. Emily, thank you so much for jumping on the Future Sox Podcast. You can follow Emily at Emily C. Walden, how are you? Uh, how are you holding up these days, Emily? It's been pretty wild, uh, especially considering a couple of days before the draft. Now, on a baseball side, but just like in real life, things things have been a little unnatural. Hey, I I have to be honest with you guys. When I spoke with James about doing the podcast, I have just craved any ability to sit down and talk baseball with somebody because I don't know about you guys, but the concept of having the draft literally days away blows my mind it just it doesn't feel like we've hit that point in the year because we've had no baseball to keep us busy aside from kbo stuff which all of our sleep schedules don't allow time for that unfortunately yeah we're really locked into the draft this year more so maybe than years past mainly because of just the circumstances there's not anything else really related to baseball aside from the negotiations which we'll get to that we can follow but really it's so exhausting going back and forth. Okay, we're optimistic about a season upcoming, and then all of a sudden, well, it doesn't look too good. Uh, boy, you know, it's, it's frustrating. There's a lot of falling out, I guess, that happened due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And as a result, and here's where I, where I wanted to start with you, Emily, because I think early on when this pandemic hit, we were at Future Sox concerned about the minor league scene. And I know that that's your livelihood as well, but you began an initiative to help minor league players who were impacted by COVID-19. Could you go into a little bit of detail on what you were able to do for these players? Yeah, and it was kind of just an off-the-cuff decision, which, you know, it'd be great if I actually planned some of this stuff out, but I tend to fly by the seat of my pants when I see a need somewhere. And I think it was probably about 1230, quarter to one in the morning on my birthday, of all days. And I thought, okay, it looks like there's going to be no spring training, which automatically kicked me to the reminder, players don't get paid until their season starts at the minor league level. And so right away, I thought, how are these guys going to make money? Are the teams going to pay them their stipend? Are they going to have to go to their families for assistance? How is that going to work? And so I sort of defaulted to the fact that I'd gotten several DMs from fans who had heard about spring training and said, how can I help the minor league players? Can I donate some money? Can I help them out with this? And I thought, you know what? If there was ever a time to use my platform on Twitter to do something good, I think this is the perfect time to do it. So with the fan contributions, we had almost $14,000 donated to the minor league players. And we also connected players to employers um, in Canada and all around the country. And I want to say at last count, we were at about 60 players who were able to find jobs through that initiative. And so that part was so fulfilling to see, just watching employers step up, watching the players show how extremely grateful they were for the assistance from people around them. And it was really cool to see everybody come together and make that happen. So where do we stand now? Are you still involved trying to help these players? Because I know you're reaching out to your network across the country. How does this process work? 
Yeah, so what I did when I realized I probably took on more than I could chew, <laughs> I pulled on a couple of guys to help create a job board, which I've been directing players to if they're still in need of work. Um, and it's just a setup that has employer postings, um, allowing players to see what's available in their area. And then if they don't have their area listed, they'll contact me and I work with our web guy to reach out to employers to sort of fill those needs. So it's still kind of a, an up and coming project, still a little bit on the smaller scale, but we're trying to come up with ways to grow that eventually as we move forward. Emily, it was mostly after, you know, the Oakland A's made the decision that they did to not pay minor leaguers. And obviously they've reverted back from that now, but you know, there was a lot of questions about whether minor league players were even eligible to collect unemployment benefits, like in, in their current state, like as players on affiliates that aren't getting paid. What, what have you found out about that topic? Yeah, I think probably the most interesting reminder out of all of this study has been that even though teams are all paying their players, the stipend that they're paying them doesn't technically qualify as income. And so I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. And it sort of made the players a little bit gun shy going, is this even an option for me? Am I able to do this? And a lot of them have said they've gone to family members, they've gone to, you know, different contacts who they know had experience in the unemployment application process and just trying to figure it out. I actually had three different players contact me between yesterday and today and said, if I do this, what's going to happen? If I choose that, what's going to happen? And the biggest thing that they're really kind of on edge about right now is, is there going to be any backlash from the teams if they've been released? Our team's going to look down on them for doing this. If they're not released, is their current team going to look down on them for this? And it's all these different misconceptions that I hope with some of the nonprofits working right now, such as Advocates for Minor Leaguers and then also the More Than Baseball group, they're really trying to kill those, those rumors, those misconceptions, because they want to make themselves available for the guys, sort of give them a better understanding of it and help them navigate that whole process. Sticking on this topic, and Emily, that's that's really good stuff. Minimizing the draft to five rounds. We're obviously concerned about the players this year, those college seniors especially, uh, and even these prep prospects who, you know, typically would become professionals, but may have to pivot and go to go to college as a result of the Major League Baseball draft. I think we kind of understand that the owners were, were trying to limit the loss of revenue across this pandemic. And as a result of that, the draft was hit pretty hard. But as, as we move forward, what do you believe is on the horizon? Because we know that 42 teams are, are potentially on the chopping block here in minor league baseball. Do you see like the, the draft in initial step in the process of things to come in, in a, in a kind of a minimalized sense of minor league baseball? Yeah, it's it's a topic that's actually come up multiple times over the last few weeks, um, surprisingly a lot in my conversations with scouts who are also feeling quite an impact from all of this. I, I spoke with one scout who's been a mentor of mine for the last couple of years, and he's working construction jobs right now, just trying to get by. He was one of the, the scouts that was furloughed, um, and he's doing his best to sort of, you know, fill gaps where he can and these guys don't know how to just sit at home. They're not wired to just sit at home. They're used to being on the road constantly, coming and going. And the concept of just sitting there 
it's foreign because a lot of these scouts have been doing this for 15 or 20 years and they're so wired to be on the move. So the thought of just sitting at home on the couch and watching, you know, reruns of, of a show on Hulu, it's not really in their DNA. So I think a lot of them, um, in addition to how the players are handling it, everybody's sort of being forced to look down the road and saying, what's what's this all going to lead into? And I don't think baseball is going to look the same next year. I think with the 42 affiliates, which they've said that list is going to kind of, you know, evolve and be a little bit different before it's all said and done. Um, so we could see some teams pulled and some teams added. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a blow to multiple communities all over the country to lose affiliated baseball. And I know Commissioner Manfred had talked about having this dream league and having this this option of still keeping baseball there, but it's it's just not the same. If you ask fans, minor league baseball is their opportunity to see the Fernando Tatis Juniors and the Luis Roberts and all of these guys who will one day move ahead and show up at the major league level. And for them, it makes them attainable. It makes them approachable. And they can say, I got to talk to Joe Adele after one of his games and he signed my hat. You don't get that at the major league level. And I think that's really what sets minor league baseball apart. But as Commissioner Manfred, the owners have made very clear, their focus is more on the business aspect. And I don't think it's nearly as much on the fan impact that these moves are going to have. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. And, you know, Mike Mike has worked in indie ball before, and I think that's kind of where, you know, some of these affiliates are going to be gone, but then they're essentially going to be indie ball teams where those communities will still have a baseball team. But like you said, they're not going to have an affiliated team, you know, with guys who are going to be definite, you know, not definite big leaguers, but potential big leaguers, I, I would say. So, Emily, one of your tweets I'm going to copy off of, um, you asked – how how are you feeling about the state of baseball like with emojis so how are you feeling about the state of baseball right now can i just tell you that was one of the most entertaining threads of comments with the ways that people came up to express how they were feeling um and i definitely recommend people if you need a good laugh go through and read some of those um i am generally for anybody who knows me i'm a, a very much a glass half full person um by nature i generally will look for the silver linings, and I'll look for the positives in a situation. And while I think we will have some form of baseball this year, I don't think it's heading in a fan-friendly direction. Um, I think one of the things that has really made baseball such a storied sport is the magic of it. It's the way that the fans can lean on the tradition and the history and just the, you know, the mystique of the sport and just all of the different things that have happened over the years, it's it's been focused on the fans. And I feel like as it's progressed, it's shifted more to the business side. And I don't know about you guys, reading the updates about the negotiations, it's exhausting. I, I honestly would prefer to not read them. And I, I try not to read them unless I absolutely have to. But it's unfortunate. People want to look at this as a game. They want to look at this as an escape from reality where they can go sit down and have a brat and a beer and, you know, enjoy a day with their friends. It's a business, no matter how much we want to acknowledge it, no matter how much we want to address that side of it, it is and always will be a business. And the unfortunate aspect of how things are going right now is the fans are having that really shoved back in their face, despite not wanting to know that they just want to see baseball being played. And right now it's all about the back and forth. 
and money is unfortunately center stage with all these discussions. Yeah, so in one of your latest pieces that's very good over at The Athletic, you kind of tag teamed with, you know, Saris a little bit. And in there, you know, you you guys talked about, you know, all the minor leaguers that were basically being released. But you also hinted kind of towards, you know, like another purge maybe coming here because of because of the, you know, the five round draft, 42 affiliates are going to be gone. There's probably going to be no minor league baseball this year. How many players that would have been, you know, probably drafted into an organization and look, some of them might've just ended up being becoming organizational type depth guys, but you know, how many of those guys now are just going to choose a new profession and give up on baseball altogether in the future? I, I think a lot more than I would like to admit. Um, I think that it's going to really force the hand of a lot of high school guys and say, look, it's either go to college or you're not going to get the start to your career that you would like. I think you're going to see a lot more guys go to college. I think you're going to see a lot more college guys return for another year. This is not an ideal setup for these players. In my opinion, and I know there's different perspectives on it. I don't view this as an ideal situation for guys wanting to start their careers and wanting to get their best foot forward. And so it it doesn't surprise me. I've seen multiple posts from guys saying, I'm pulling out of the draft. I'm pulling out of the draft. I'm going to go back to school. And it doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that the fact that they cut it so drastically, um, somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, are you against a cut? And I said, no, 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 not against a cut. I'm against that excessive of a cut. I think cutting it back to maybe 10 or 15 rounds, I could see. I've always thought 40 was fairly excessive. Um, But I think if you were to cut it back to like 10 or 15, would be a little bit easier to digest. I just think five is so extreme. And the timing that it sort of came into the picture, it was really a gut punch for a lot of baseball fans as the rest of 2020 has been as well. So Emily, here's, here's something. We talked to Kyle Peterson of the SEC Network as well as on ESPN, and he suggested, well, if minor league baseball had a players union themselves, right, if they were a part of this conversation, how different would the landscape be? Now, we mentioned, you know, the owner's responsibility and minor league pay. It's it's pretty significantly small, uh, all things considered. So with that being said, what would happen? to the league as a whole, what would happen to these players if minor leaguers were represented by a union and if owners were willing to pay these players a decent wage? You know, I I honestly don't know if it would be much more simple than it is now. It might actually add another layer of complexity to the whole process, but I think you would see more justice done. Um, I know one of the biggest takeaways that I've had from speaking with the players is they are all extremely quick to acknowledge we don't deserve big league money. We know that. We are just starting out, you know, in their respective minor league levels. They understand that. They know that they're not going to get big bucks. But when you start to dangle at the poverty line, that's not acceptable. It's under no circumstances Should an employee in this country, no matter what your occupation, you should not be at that level and have your employer get away with it. It's it's not acceptable under any any scenario. And so I think if you were to have a form of representation, you would have a voice at the table. And I think you would be able to have your concerns put out there. You'd be able to have those things 
presented in a respected way. And they just don't have that right now. And I know when I've asked a couple people what they believe the biggest holdup was, a lot of it ties back to the differences in the types of players being signed in the minors and how there's so much of a variety to the backgrounds from the international signing process, you know, to high school kids, to college kids. It's, there's so many different walks of life that you're working with that they believe it sort of adds more complexity and it makes the process of building, um, you know, a union of that sort, it makes it tougher. And so I think unless you're able to sort of streamline the minor league signing process, I think it's still going to be a bit of a struggle to get that put together on the union side. And I'm hoping they start to kind of figure that out a little bit more moving forward. Yeah, I think that's really well said. Let's transition now to some Major League Baseball draft talk. And the Detroit Tigers are picking number one. It's really been Spencer Torkelson. Torkelson's been the guy attached to the Tigers at number one. Do you agree with that? Uh, Do you foresee the Tigers following through with this player? I would definitely agree with that. I think the biggest reason being the Tigers need a big bat. They need somebody who can hit. You're kind of getting to a point as an organization where the power hitters are either retiring, they're starting to age. I know Victor Martinez did not have the best set of wheels on the team, but the power was there. And you could put him near Miguel Cabrera, and those two could hit all day long. And that that was their thing. And now you have guys like Kristen Stewart, who, yes, he's able to produce, but not consistently. Um, and I think the challenge of him struggling defensively um, at times is a little bit of an imbalance in that profile to really put the focus on the power at the plate. And so for a guy like Spencer Torkelson, who has a plus plus bat, he's got plus power, he has that profile. And to bring in a future first baseman, I think that that would really be beneficial for the organization while they keep this rebuild process going. Yeah, so, I mean, Torkelson will be probably the first ever right-handed hitting, right-handed throwing first baseman to go one overall. So, obviously, you know, there's always some questions about that profile. The bat's so good that, you know, it's kind of an obvious pick. Um, is there any chance that, that it's anyone else? And who would that be if it were, like, Asa Lacey, maybe? They, they do like SEC players, and they've taken a lot of pitchers lately. Yes, if there's one thing to be known about the Tigers, it's their love of pitchers. They are definitely not shy about that. Um, I've heard Austin Martin is really probably the closest one um, to second. I know right now um, multiple boards have him as going second um, out of Vanderbilt. And again, another solid profile that would definitely be something that would benefit the Tigers because at the end of the day, as we all know, they have pitchers coming up. They have some incredible pitching talent from Matt Manning to Tarek Scobalt to Casey Mize. You've got so many of these guys that are going to be able to fit into the future of the rotation. You've got to add more offensive power. You've got to add more guys that have the profile, and then you put them under the care of the, the player development squad to really bring out the best in those. And so I think of the ones that I think have the best chance of going um, one, if it's not Torkelson, I wouldn't be surprised if Austin Martin would be the next one to consider. So just to follow up on that, outside of the first round, how do you foresee the draft going for the Tigers? We, we've we been told that it's depth laden with pitching. Are they going to just 
load up on more pitching here or what do you foresee the Tigers doing outside of the first round? You know, my hope is that they do pursue more bats. Um, I really, I think that would be the most beneficial move. I think you're going to see a lot of college quality bats and that makes a profile that doesn't require as much development as a guy like Riley Green, who they took last year, who was a high school kid. Um, obviously, Riley is really an exceptional talent at the plate, but he's going to need a little bit more time. You factor in a lot of physical development when it's a high school bat. You have to factor in a lot more of that learning curve. And if you've got a guy who's shown that, that type of progress at the college level, that's somebody that you know is going to be able to be thrown into the mix. He'll have a better sense of situational awareness. And I think you have less time that you have to pour into him which as we all know with the Tigers, they've got to start making some moves here and they have to start having guys available because you can only go so far in a rebuild before you need to show some results. Yeah, Emily, and they've been so pitching heavy. I totally agree with what you're saying about how they need to add hitters here at some point. And look, they're they're gonna get a good player at one. They have a compensation pick this year too, I believe. So they're you know, they're gonna get a couple of pretty good players. But how much does a five round draft and no minor league season hurt a rebuilding club like the Tigers? I think it definitely doesn't do favors. Um, one of my favorite quotes from a scout who I spoke to about that, he goes, you're going to see what organizations really trust their area guys when the draft comes. Um, because it's such a scramble to say, this is how many we have this year. We've got to make these count. And so when you're able to look at your area guys and say, I know that what he tells me about player X or player Y, I know that I can trust that. And it helps these teams move a little bit quicker and move a little bit with more confidence to be able to decide what direction they want to go. And for the Tigers, I wouldn't be surprised if there was maybe one or two pitchers thrown in those, those top selections, but I really hope they do fill some of those gaps on the offensive side. So you brought up a, a, a few of those names, the, the top pitching prospects within the Tigers system currently, and one that I'd like to focus on real quick is Tarek Skubal. He really fascinates me, left-hander, and we saw a video he posted on Twitter. He's hitting 100 miles an hour, so that's got to be exciting. What can you tell me about Skubal and what the Tigers have in that left-handed prospect? I will say this, uh, last year was my fifth year on the minor league circuit, and same with my fifth year with the Tiger system. He was a rock star. I got to watch so much development from him between the Florida State League and the Eastern League that I had people blowing me up going, where did they find this guy? Where did this guy come from? And to be able to see a guy hit triple digits from the left side after having Tommy John mind you, that was something that every team is just going to start drooling over. And I spoke with a couple scouts about their opinions on him coming up with guys like Matt Manning, Casey Mize. How did he weigh in? And I had multiple scouts tell me they would take him over all of those guys. And these are very seasoned, well-known scouts who have an eye for that kind of thing. And one of them said to me, if you're looking at the way he's throwing now with the health that he has, the control that he has with his body, he's only going to get better from here. And so if his body can stay intact and hold the potential that it showed this past season, he's got an incredible future ahead of him. And I think anytime you've got a left-hander with that type of velocity, I mean, sit back, buckle up, because I think this next season is going to be huge for him. Yes, yeah, Sox fans. 
course, we're not rooting for the Tigers to produce <laughs> yeah, these types yeah, of talent, yeah. you know? Uh, and of course, with Casey Mize and Matt Manning as well, I mean, that's top of the rotation type stuff there. What else can you tell us about Manning and Mize? Because, you know, on MLB Pipeline, they have them rated ahead of Scooble at this point. But from what you're telling us, I, and I'm convinced, I think Scooble's the real deal. But, you know, if those two are ranked above them, well, this is uh, this is pretty good for the Tigers, I think. Well, and I, I actually joked with Tarek after I released, I want to say it was, was it my, I think, end of season top 30. I do a preseason, midseason, and postseason top 30 for the Athletic Detroit. And I released my postseason or midseason, and he took off. It was almost like he kind of went, oh, you ranked me there? Watch me prove you wrong. And he just got promoted to the Eastern League and exploded. And I went, okay, my rankings just bombed. Thank you very much. (laughs) So seeing the way that he sort of just took off, I think that that really forced everybody to open their eyes. And I, I asked him about that and he goes, you know, I'm just learning my body. I'm learning how to pull the most out of that. And that's what we saw. He had 17.4 strikeouts per nine innings in the Eastern League, which for people who don't know, that's a hitter-friendly league. That is a You see some of the best bats come through there. And for him to be as dominant as he was, he forced people to pay attention. And so after that, I know I moved him into my top four um, with my most recent ranking. And getting to see the way that he's just progressed, I think he has a chance to continue moving up in the organization. Emily, I don't, I don't know if it'll be worth it this year, like if they play like some sort of like 50 or 60 game short season. But if the season had occurred like it was supposed to, do you think Casey Mize was going to debut later this year? Yes, I did. Yeah, I think that he, Matt Manning and Tarek all had an opportunity to debut. And obviously we're all sitting here still wondering are they going to do a taxi squad type of setup? How many games are they going to play? Where is it going to be played? There's so many factors right now that I think are up in the air that it's hard to know what direction the Tigers will go with debuting their guys. But if they decide to pull up some extra people to throw on the roster, wouldn't surprise me a bit to put those guys in the mix because I think they all more than proved themselves last season. So, you know, since it is a White Sox prospect podcast, what are your thoughts on the White Sox going forward here in the immediate future? And then I guess who were a couple of your favorite guys you've seen live from that organization? I know you've seen Dylan Cease a few times. Have you seen Luis Robert in person? I saw him during spring training. I want to say it was last year and he was it last fall. He was at the fall league or was it the year before? No, it was last year. Yeah. Last year. And I, cause I was going to say, I have a memory of him from the fall league I was standing by one of the batting cages during BP. And do you ever have that moment where you're standing there and you sense a very large human being standing directly behind you? I had that moment and I turned around and there he was standing, towering over me. And he just smiled and said, hello. <laughs> such He's such a, just a happy person. Like he's always so upbeat. And I think what you see is what you get with him. You've got that that bat that is so polished, and he's just got such a larger-than-life presence at the plate. I think, if anything, maybe just some defensive polish, you know, and even that, there's it's it's hard to find major flaws in his profile. I think he has the physique. 
I think he has the ability to be coached. He's teachable. He's got the right personality for a clubhouse. And I think if they're able to sort of continue to cultivate his personality and cultivate that physical profile, I think he's got a huge future ahead of him. And the fact that he's such a good personality, I think just makes it that much more fun um, to sort of see him do his thing and see how much fun he's having. Um, and then somebody else who I was really impressed with, um, again, both on and off the field, Nick Madrigal. Um, he, I think, has a really, really good ability to sort of play bigger than he is. Um, because I know, obviously, his size has always kind of been, you know, a topic of conversation. Is he too small? You know, there's baseball and other sports, too. If you're not, if you don't have that height, is that going to play against you? Is it going to play in your favor? How do you make the most of it? And I think for him, if he's able to keep focusing on, you know, capitalizing off his build and going, this is the physique I have. And now how do I make the most come out of it? What type of hitting do I need to do? How is my fielding going to be the most effective? And he's still relatively young. I believe he's 23, if I remember correctly. Still relatively young. There's still some coaching um, time there to sort of polish that stuff off. But I think he's got the, really has the fire to play and the fire to learn. So he's somebody I'm going to be keeping an eye on too. Emily, that's really great stuff. We really appreciate you sharing the insights uh, related to the Tigers, the MLB draft. Something of a personal question for you. I've been following your work for a while now, and as a scout yourself, you know what was it like getting into this industry for you? What were some of the challenges? And of course, you know we all have that love for baseball that drives us to get there. But I'm sure there's plenty of bumps in the road before you were able to to get to the athletic and baseball America. Yeah, I think probably the biggest. I guess, obstacle was for me to prove how seriously I take my work. Um, I think there are a lot of, you know, fly-by-night people who come in and say, you know, I want to work in baseball and I want to do this, but they're, they sort of flame out pretty quickly when they see how much of a grind it is to work around the game. Um, and for that type of a challenge, I think you kind of automatically weed out the people who aren't as serious about it. And for me, when I set my sights on something and I lock in, I don't know how to slow down. I don't even know if it's healthy, the work ethic that I have and the amount of coffee that I consume. But it's a way for me to sort of pursue and grow and chase something, not to prove something to other people, but to prove to myself, if I want it bad enough, I want to pursue it and I want to excel. I don't want to just be another person who works around baseball I want to be good. I want to put out quality work. And I think as a woman, I don't like to fall back on this very often, but I think there is an underlying sense of added pressure that we have to overcompensate, that we have to, you know, put out stuff that's going to be more, you know, attention grabbing. And I've always said, I want to be known as being a good scout and a good sports writer. I don't want to be known as a good female scout or female sports writer. I want to be known for the quality of work to where it shouldn't have to do if I'm male or female, that I can put out work that people look at that and say, they're serious about what they do. I don't care about sex. I don't care about any of that stuff. It's good content. It's someone who respects the game enough to put out something that I want to read and content that's worth following. And my hope is the way that I am sort of pursuing what I love. I want to inspire other people to do the same, not to 
stick it to the man, but to say, look, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, it matters how much you're willing to invest yourself and to pursue what you're passionate about, so much so to where you're not being affected by other people and you're not getting discouraged by other people. You're listening to your own voice. You're surrounding yourself with good people who are going to champion you and then just putting one foot in front of the other. So my genuine hope is my work does that for others, and I'm excited to see what happens. Well, we know in the baseball community that we're privileged to have your work at our disposal because uh, it is such a great resource resource for all of us to learn and uh, broaden our consumption of minor league baseball as well as just baseball as a whole. So, and the scouting aspect of it, I I love the idea of scouting and the process and the grind and everything that that plays into it. So, really great work, awesome stuff today and throughout your career. Before we let you go, do you have anything in the works that we can look forward to? I know the draft is is a couple of days away, but are there some projects that you're willing to share? Um, yeah. So as of right now, um, I have one thing that's upcoming at the Athletic, um, which I am grateful for. Still writing. I've had a couple of people ask if I was involved in the recent layoffs. I'm grateful that I wasn't. Um, we lost a lot of really incredible writers um, with those, and I know a lot of different publications have been severely hit um, just with the virus impact and um, the financial issues everyone's kind of coming up against. Um, So for The Athletic, still writing some, not quite as much, um, just to balance out the the budget aspect, but working with Pitching Ninja on a fun little project that I hope to have out in the next week or so. And then another surprise project, which is a little bit more lighthearted. So we're not releasing right away, just out of respect for the current events um, that are going on right now around the country and want to do our best to, you know, acknowledge that and to make sure our timing is applicable and respectful as well. So a few little fun things that I'm excited to see. Awesome. We'll be looking forward to it. Emily, thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Follow Emily Walden on Twitter at Emily C. Walden, the national prospect writer for The Athletic, covers Tigers baseball. Such a great conversation to have. Uh, For James Fox and for Emily Walden, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox podcast. Check us out on futuresox.com. Get to us on whatever podcasting platform you listen to, I guess. iTunes, Spotify, Google, all those good stuff. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in. We will talk to you all next time.